Right before King David died, he told his son Solomon to be strong, follow God's ways, and no matter what, not to worship other gods. Shortly after Solomon took over as king, God appeared to him and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Worried about following in his father's footsteps, Solomon asked God to give him wisdom, to know the difference between right and wrong. God not only promised to give Solomon wisdom, but great riches and honor as well. The first test of Solomon's wisdom happened when two prostitutes came to him. There was a young child that each of them claimed was theirs. Solomon knew one of them had to be lying. So he asked his servants to bring out a sword and suggested to the woman that he cut the boy in two and give each of them half. One of the women was so worried that the boy would be killed that she immediately asked Solomon to give the child to the other woman. Solomon saw her love and protection and knew that it had to be her baby, so he gave the boy to her. The Israelites were in awe of Solomon's great wisdom. He ruled for many years, growing in wealth and fame. He also wrote down many wise sayings called Proverbs. During his reign, Solomon planned to finish building the temple his father, David, wanted to build. They built a temple that was not incredibly large, but was unbelievably beautiful and detailed. It was 90 feet by 30 feet and had two bronze pillars that led into the place where sacrifices were made. When it was finished, Solomon and the other leaders sacrificed a huge number of animals in worship to God. When they did, the whole temple filled with a thick cloud of smoke. Solomon prayed, asking God to meet the Israelites in the temple and hear their prayers. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from the sky and burned up the animal sacrifices. That night, God appeared to Solomon again and promised to bless him in all that he did, as long as he would keep following God. In some areas, Solomon did follow what God told him to, but in others, like worshiping other gods, he failed. Because of this, the kingdom of Israel would be taken from his sons, and they would not enjoy the peaceful, successful reign that he had. It's amazing how each of us are so prone to give ourselves to things that ultimately don't matter, that ultimately mean nothing. And so we end up pursuing things that, and giving our lives and our time and our energy and our finances to things that ultimately don't matter. It's true for all of us. Some of you have been following or followed the story of Lori Laughlin. Lori was, is a very famous actress and she wanted to get her daughter into USC, and her daughter really didn't qualify, wasn't going to get in. So basically, she paid, she and her husband paid for their daughter to get into this great, incredible university <laughs> that only receives the brightest and the best. But what happened was the whole scandal came to light. And when Lori and her husband stood before the judge to be sentenced, I want you to hear what the judge said. Because even though we're not as wealthy maybe as Lori Laughlin and her husband, or we're not as famous as Lori Laughlin and her husband, we too will seek after things that ultimately aren't important. 
Listen to what the judge said. He said, here you are, an admired, successful, professional actor with a long-lasting marriage, two apparently healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a beautiful home in sunny Southern California, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. Wow. Is that an indictment on the American culture? Is that an indictment upon many of us today? Listen to it again. And for what? For the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. All of us, because of our sinful nature, are prone to seek after and to seek to grasp things that ultimately don't matter. To seek after things, to give ourselves to things that in light of eternity don't have great value. This morning we're continuing our 31-week series called The Story. And we're going through the entire, or 70% of the Bible. By the time that you're finished, you will have read 70% of the Bible. If you're visiting with us and you want to continue this journey with us or online, we have a number of people online. If you want to be part of that journey with us, we have books that are available that we would love to give to you that has the readings for us straight out of the Bible for every week, 70% of the Bible. But where we left off last week was with King David. And in 961 BC, David dies. And his son Solomon becomes the king over the kingdom of Israel. Now this is really remarkable as we alluded to last week. Here is Solomon. He comes from the union of David and Bathsheba. Remember their first child died. Because of David's sin, their first child died. And so God gives them another son. David has many wives. He has 21 children. But what child is it that God chooses to be the king of Israel to follow David? Solomon from the union of David and Bathsheba. I mean, that is such an incredible picture of God's grace. If you come this morning with a life that has been broken, with mistakes and that you are more than aware of that have plagued your life and plagued your conscience, let me say this to you today. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of forgiveness. It's Satan who wants to keep you at a distance from God. It's Satan that wants to convict you day after day after day of the mistakes that you have made. Turn your heart to Jesus. Receive his grace. And God can take even the worst mistakes of your life and he can build something beautiful out of it. And this is what God did in the life of, of David. Solomon becomes king. Jesus would come from the line of David and Bathsheba. And what we see here is that Solomon begins very, very well. I want to share with you this morning four things that I learned this week from the story of Solomon. Now, there are many more, but um, they only let me pre uh, preach for three hours. So I, um, so I had to condense it into four. 
So you will read the story. God will reveal things to you that we will never talk about. Pastor Lon following will do an adult education time right here for teenagers and adults, a time for you to go even deeper in what we've talked about this morning and in the passages that you read this week. But there are four things that I want you to see this morning. Here's the first one. Praying not just for me, but for God's purposes to be fulfilled. What I learned from Solomon is something that I have to be reminded about often. That I am not just to pray about the things that I typically pray about, but I'm to be focused on the kingdom of God. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. And he says to Solomon, ask anything, anything of me, and I will give it to you. Now, I want you to think about right now, if you had that opportunity, what would you ask for? What is it that you would want? What is it that you would ask God to give to you? Is it health for you or someone else? It's very appropriate. Nothing wrong with that. Blessing on relationships, healing in relationships. It's wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But what Solomon does is he asks for something more profound. He asks for something that's even more important. And here it is. He asks for wisdom. Listen to what we read in 1 Kings 3, 7 to 9. We read, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted or for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. If you have your own Bibles, underline that. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? What is it that Solomon asks for? He asks for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to make the right decisions to make the right choices, to have sound judgment in life, to make discerning observations about people. You saw that, didn't you, when, he, when this dispute came about whose child this was. Wisdom beyond his years, discernment beyond his natural ability. He had the wisdom to understand. He had the wisdom to see the discernment to see clearly. Friends, this is what we all need. If we are to live the life that God has called us to live, we need wisdom. We need to be able to make good choices, to have sound judgment, to have discernment. This is something we should all hunger for. This is something that we should all want. Listen to what... what um, Solomon writes, we read here in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. The first number of chapters of Proverbs talks about wisdom, all about wisdom. And then the rest of Proverbs are little, little Proverbs, little sayings that bring perspective and wisdom to our lives. 
Solomon is credited with writing three books in the Bible. Proverbs, which many of you uh, read some of the Proverbs this week. Some of you are very aware of. The book of Ecclesiastes, probably fewer of you are aware of Ecclesiastes. An amazing book that lays out eternal perspective, why it is that we should not pursue these things that ultimately don't matter in life. And then Song of Songs, a celebration of marriage, a celebration of the love between a husband and a wife, the wisdom of God brought to us through Solomon. But listen to what he reads, in, what he writes in Proverbs 8, 10, and 11. He says, take my instruction instead of silver and gold. Okay, instead of silver. Can you think, think about that just for a moment? Okay, here's my choice. Wisdom, silver. Wisdom, silver. What choice would you make? Solomon is saying that it is better to have wisdom than it is to have silver. And knowledge, knowledge born out of biblical wisdom has greater value than gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. Think of all the things that you hunger for and thirst for in this world. None of it compares to wisdom. Why? Because wisdom teaches me how to live in a way that honors God. Wisdom helps me to live in a way that I was created to live. Wisdom enables me to know how to handle relationships. Enables me to know how to handle circumstances. How to respond well when life throws something at us that we weren't expecting. We need wisdom. And then we pick it up here in James 1, chapter 5. And you might be thinking this morning, well, how do I get this wisdom? Well, we read the Word of God, certainly. But even beyond that, what does James say? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is one of my most consistent prayers in my life. God has called me to lead in different areas of my life. I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need how to see things as God wants me to see them. I need discernment. I'm very trusting by nature. And sometimes I make bad choices as a result. I need discernment. God, I need wisdom. What does he say? If you lack wisdom, ask God. And what's the promise? God will give generously without finding reproach. In other words, he's not going to judge whether you're worthy of wisdom. It will be given to them. What if you began to pray every day, God, give me wisdom. I hunger and thirst for wisdom. Not so that you can pick the right lotto numbers. Not so that you can make the right financial investment. That's not what we're talking about with wisdom. What we're talking about is so that you can make the right decisions when life comes at you. That you can make the right choices when decisions need to be made. That when you come to a fork in the road and you need to make a choice, that you see it with discernment, and you see it through the eyes of God, and you choose the right path. And you live a life that honors God. I am convinced 
when I look at my life and I look at things that I really, really prayed about, Lord, should I marry this woman? Well, you all know that. Why'd you even pray about that? You know you needed to. Should I marry this woman? Should I go to this college? Should I pick this career? Should I come to this church? Should I leave my church to come to this church? These are all huge life decisions. I am convinced that God is less concerned about those decisions than how we live in the midst of those decisions. What matters to God is how we live in the decisions that have been made. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. It's living right before God in those choices that are made in life. Now, does God lead and guide? Absolutely he does. But we need wisdom to live well in the circumstances of our lives. There is not a person here who does not need more wisdom. Ask God. He gives generously without finding reproach. And he gives generously. He will do it. I was, um, came across an interesting article uh, this week that I thought you might enjoy. Some of you, if you were born after 1990, this is really going to blow your mind. Did you know that the internet didn't exist until the mid-90s? <laughs> I didn't know either. I read about it. For those of us born after 1990, we had no idea. We thought the internet's always been here, right? I remember when really a computer was just used for word processing. It wasn't used for what we use it for today. And because of that, never before have we had so much information at our fingertips and so much information being shared. In, in 2019, listen to this, one single minute, one single minute, any given minute in 2019, listen to this, there were 188 million emails 18.1 million texts, and 4.5 million vid videos viewed on YouTube. One minute in 2019. By year 2025, they estimate that 463 exabytes of data will be created each day online. 463 exabytes. And we all know what exabytes are, right? No. Five exabytes, listen to this, five exabytes is equal to all the words that have ever been spoken by humanity since the beginning of time. Five exabytes. There, there will be, by the year 2025, data across the internet equal to five exabytes every 15 minutes. You have all of this already available to you. Your screen probably isn't cracked like mine, but you have all this information right here, right here. All of this information at our fingertips. All this information that we can get just like that. Now I want to ask you this question. Has it made us better? Has it made the world better? There's nothing wrong with information, but has it made the world better? Friends, we don't need more information. We need more wisdom. We are seeking information when what we need is wisdom. Information is at my fingertips. Wisdom comes from God. And it comes from His Word. 
If you are new to Christianity, and some of you are, if you are new to faith, and some of you are, I want to encourage you this week to read, to read the book of Proverbs. Be amazed at the wisdom of this book. Read Ecclesiastes. Be amazed at the wisdom of this book. Husbands and wives, read Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. Be amazed at the beauty of what God intends for us. It's, it's staggering. Seek wisdom. Here's a second thing that I want you to see, and that is find a mentor and be a mentor. I had never really paid attention to this before. I had never really paid attention to the mentoring that David did with Solomon as it's recorded in the Bible at the end of his life. He knows that he's passing the baton to his son to lead the nation that he loves, to lead the people that he has shepherded. David is passing the baton at the end of his life. And we hear and get this little speech that he shares. And here it is. He says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Friends, I think every one of us, every one of us needs to heed those words today. Know God. What does it mean to know God? It's not information about God. Knowing God is intimacy in relationship. And I've shared with you before. Do you want to know that God is a God of love? Or do you want to encounter the God of love, his love in your life? Of course, we want to encounter the love of God. Knowledge, this kind of knowing is so important that Jesus said in John 17, now this is eternal life, that you know the Father and you know the Son whom he sent. Eternal life isn't about living forever. I know people, many people that I've sat with on their deathbeds that don't want to live any longer in their condition. It's not about length, it's about quality. It's about knowing God and knowing the Son whom he sent. I don't want to just hear that God is faithful. I want to know the faithful promises of God being fulfilled in my own life. I don't want to just, to this past week I did two funerals. And we talked about the great passage in 2 Corinthians 1 where God is a God of compassion and a God of all comfort who comforts, who comforts his people. Friends, that's, I don't want to just know that God comforts his people. I want to be comforted by the God who comforts his people. Amen? This is what matters. And so David says to Solomon, know God, know God. Open your heart to him, open your life to him. Then he says, serve the Lord with a whole heart and a willing mind. Are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? 
You should serve the Lord until you take your last breath. There is no retirement from ministry. There is no retirement from being a disciple of Jesus. We live out his purposes and his design. No matter where we are, no matter what our age, no matter what our circumstances. And we do it, and if you're serving the Lord, are you doing it with your whole heart? It fully engaged fully employed, doing it with everything that you have and a willing mind. Doing it not because you're compelled or somebody made you feel guilty, but doing it because this is what matters. Seek the Lord, David said to Solomon. Seek the Lord and you will find him. Be careful, Solomon. He says, there are many challenges along the way. There are many detours that you could take that are going to end badly for you, and indeed it does. But he says, build the temple. Build the temple, Solomon. Build the temple. Be strong, and you can do it. We had a woman um, in my last church. I've shared a little bit about her. Her name's Grandma Lois. And Grandma Lois is one of the most remarkable people, all four foot nine of her, I think. And um, she, uh, I was privileged to do her service when she passed away. And um, Grandma Lois was just, she was a, um, a, a green, mean, welcoming machine. I, I would do new members classes, and, and we were growing rapidly at the time. And I'd say, how many of you have met Grandma Lois? Every hand would go up. She was remarkable. I remember going to see Grandma Lois when she was in a nursing home. And she was sitting in a chair. I forever have this picture in my mind because I hope I end this well. She's sitting in her chair. She's got her Bible next to her. She's got a phone next to her. And she has the church directory in her lap. And she's praying for person after person after person. Periodically, she picks up the phone and she calls and she says, how are you doing? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I mentor you? How can I encourage you in your love for Jesus? It was remarkable. And from that came a vision that we had, at, not only at Corinth, my last church, but at Cross Point as well. And that is, to have a mentor and to be a mentor. Now, what's a mentor? A mentor is somebody who walks with you in life. Every one of us needs a mentor. I have mentors in my life who speak into my life. I need that. They hold me accountable. They speak in and they um, make sure that I'm making good choices. They ask me the hard questions. I need that in my life. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there are four kinds of people that you will read about. First of all is the mocker. The mocker is the person who knows what God wants, purposely doesn't do it, and encourages others not to do it as well. We all know mockers in our lives. Then there's the fool. The fool who knows, knows what God wants him to do, but chooses to do it. The Bible calls, or Proverbs calls them the fool. Then there is the simple. The simple is the person who just doesn't have enough life experience. They haven't experienced enough in life 
to see the dangers that they need to see, to see the hiccups in life coming before they hit. They don't have enough experience to make wise decisions because they haven't been down that road before. They need somebody who's traveled that road before them, who can speak into their life and encourage them. The last category is the wise. It's the person who understands, has wisdom, and chooses what God wants them to choose. And all of us here today have to decide, what category am I in today? But the simple. Out of this picture of Grandma Lois and out of this picture of Proverbs, we began a mentoring ministry in different areas at Cross Point. One of them, or at Corinth, and we were wanting to do here. One of them is a, where people who have experience in finances can come alongside people who don't have experience and mentor them in that area. How do you handle money in a godly manner? Those who are younger in faith need us who are older in faith. We may be we may be actually chronologically younger, but in faith we're older. And so they need us to come alongside them to build into their lives. This means everybody. We can't have anybody sitting on the sidelines. Everybody needs to be doing this. Have a mentor and be a mentor. Now what we were starting to do at my last church, and I really am bummed we never got it done. And I, and I pray that we do that here. And that is mentoring young couples in marriage. Now, some of you will remember the early years of marriage where you're learning about the other person, and there can be some challenges. Of course, I don't know about that, but I've read about that. And I've done counseling, and I know all your stories, okay? I'm just saying. But here's the deal. What if, for a year, as a couple gets married... A seasoned couple comes alongside them and meets with them periodically, maybe quarterly, maybe monthly, whatever it takes, and they just talk together about marriage. And the, the, from the scriptures, the couple, the uh, more experienced couple, they just share with them not just their story, but biblical truth about how to get through some of those landmines, how to navigate difficult waters. What if we were a church that were doing what David did for Solomon? And it doesn't mean we have to be blood relatives. We don't even have to be biologically related. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. In Grand Rapids or Byron Center where we lived, love Byron Center, um, the great metropolis that is Byron Center, all 8,000 people, and our, every year in elementary school, the kids would have Grandparents' Day. Well, our kids didn't have grandparents in the area. They lived 2,000 miles away. And so we had this wonderful lady, a very godly woman who was in our church. And our little Katie didn't have a grandmother to go with her on, grandmother's day, on Grandparents' Day. Didn't have a grandfather to go with her. So little left-handed Lori Lowry from Lowell became her, her special friend on Grandparents' Day. Katie got married last month, and she invited Lori and her husband to come to her wedding. That's how much Lori meant to her. What if, 
What if we were that kind of a family? What if we were the kind of family that didn't pay, to, pay attention to biological um, relation, but understanding that we are the family of God, and we need to be part of each other's lives. Can you see what could happen? Can you dream with me what could be? We're going to be moving in that direction, and we're going to need a lot of you to be a part of that. Here's the third thing that I want you to see, and that is God wants to live with you. Man, I love this. God wants to live with you. Now, here is, uh, here's the passage, and it's about the building of the, now the uh, temple is, has been built. It is gorgeous. David collected all of the materials, but because David had blood on his hands, he was not allowed to build the temple. That would fall to Solomon. Solomon builds the temple, and it is spectacular. It took seven years, almost the entire thing cut out of marble. It took seven years to build. All of the things that were in the temple were either made of gold or had jewels, silver, it was, it was extraordinary. In fact, when the, table, uh, the temple would be raised a, few years, a number of years later, and they built another temple, the people were so disappointed because it paled in comparison to this temple. It was extraordinary. I want you to read along as I read the passage. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, dedicating the temple to the Lord, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was the place where God lived. This is the place they believed that God lived. His glory filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This was the place where God was to be met. This place was so important because this was the place where they could have relationship with God. As we've been reading throughout the Old Testament, you read a phrase that happens over and over and over again. And God says this, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the heart of God right there. That's why Jesus came right there. That's why Jesus died on a cross right there. That's why Jesus conquered death right there. God said over and over again, I will be your God and you will be my people. He gave us the law. We couldn't obey the law. And so the law made us just guilty because we were convicted by not living up to the law. But God had a, his plan from the beginning was to send his son. And so we read in this passage that God creates, it's not a tabernacle, it is a temple. And this is where the glory of God is. At the very center of the temple was the Holy of Holies, which you've heard me talk about before, which is surrounded by a large curtain, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, among other items. Here's a picture of the temple. You can't really read that very well. But on the outside, unlike the tabernacles, on the outside, was the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles had a place. The non-Jews had a place. They couldn't enter inside, but they had their own court. 
And then on the inside, the court of the Israelites. And then in the very center, where the priests, at the very heart of it, was the place where God, where they believed God lived. Now, why is the temple so important? Here's why. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you, you, you and me are God's temple and the Spirit of God dwells in you, that God has come to live in you through the Holy Spirit and His glory, His glory resides in you. Now, we dim that light. We push back against it. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. The moment that I put my faith in Jesus for forgiveness, the moment I trusted in Jesus for my salvation, the Holy Spirit came to live in me so that God now lives in me. We don't need a temple. We become the temple of the Lord. Extraordinary. I don't need to go anywhere to meet God. I don't need to go through a priest to meet with God. I go through Jesus, who's the great priest, as we'll see in our Christmas series beginning next week. I go through Jesus, and he mediates for me, and I commune, I fellowship with, I have a relationship with the living God. Friends, that was always God's design and his purpose. Now, we will know that more fully when we die, and sin it no longer taints us. But Jesus made me righteous. So a holy God can now dwell in me. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Friends, think about the implications of that one. And then finally, beware, beware of the seductions of life. As so ha- often happens, as so often happens for people, they begin well, but they don't end well. Solomon does not end well. And it's tragic. It's tragic to see what happened, what happens to Solomon. Now, all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God had warned the people, you should not have a king. I will be your king. Kings will only lead you astray. Kings will not lead like I will lead. I will protect you. I will guide you. I will lead you. But the people cried out, as we saw a few weeks ago, they cried out for a king. And it was one problem after another, after another, after another. And we see that the warning in Deuteronomy is completely ignored by Solomon. Solomon surrounds himself with many foreign wives And to appease them, he built places of the worship of false gods in Israel. He built shrines to worship the false gods in Israel. Listen to what we read. We read this. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Remember what David had said? Follow God fully. He did not do that. He didn't follow the example of his father David. Then Solomon built a high place. That's a, that's a place of worship for Kamosh, 
the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Wow. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was very angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. So we close here today. I want to ask you this question. When you take your last breath and you look back over your life, what will you see? I can tell you at that moment, because I've been there many times with people, I can tell you at that moment what won't matter to you. What won't matter to you is the size of your IRA. What won't matter to you is the condition of your vehicles. What won't matter to you is what's happening in your business. Only two things will matter to you, the Lord and people. That's it. What decisions do you need to make today so that when you look back over your life as you're taking your last breaths, you, you can say, I was faithful. I was faithful. I loved God to the best of my ability. And I loved people. Nothing else will matter. Nothing. Nothing. I don't want to make decisions at the end of my life and regret the decisions that I'm making today. I want to look back on my life and I don't want to regret my decisions. I don't want to leave anything. I don't want to leave anything on the floor. I want to give everything I am for the kingdom of God. And that's not because I'm a pastor. I would be doing that if I was a CPA. I'd be doing that if I was a homemaker. I would be doing that if I was a teacher. I would be doing that if I was a principal. I would be doing that if I was a chemist. I would be doing that no matter what my life is. Because I want to look over my shoulder and I want to say, I did my best. Now, I know me. I'll always regret. I always regret. I always look back over my shoulder and think, ah, I should have done it better. But I love what, um, and I'll close with it, Henrietta Mears. Some of you know the name Henrietta Mears. Incredible lady. She is really credited with um, being children's education today as we know it. Christian education today as we know it goes back to Henrietta Mears of uh, when she was at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. And at the end of her life, she was asked what she would have done differently. And all she said was this, I would believe God more and I would follow him more closely. I would believe God more and I would follow him more closely. Friends, may that be something you seek to do today. Maybe you're six years old. What if you made that decision today? Maybe you're 96 years old. What if you made that decision for the rest of your life? I'm going to do the things that Solomon told, uh, David told Solomon to do. I'm going to follow the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to love people. I'm going to love God. Let's pray. Father, so often... We have great intentions that we never fulfill. 
we get, have great intentions, and then the desires of our sinful nature lead us astray as we give in to them. Lord, that's true for every single one of us. Thank you that you're the God who never gives up. As we read in Philippians 1.6, you who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of completion. I want to pray for any here today that want to rededicate their lives to you. Who look at their life today and realize that they have just, they're just not on the right path. And if that's you this morning, I just want to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord, oh God, forgive me for what I have done or failed to do. Today I say, lead me, guide me, give me wisdom that I may be your child. And may I have a life that reflects your glory. There may be some of you here this morning who have never made a decision for Jesus and he's tugging at your heart today. Would you pray this prayer? Jesus, come. Give me life. Open my eyes. I confess to you, Lord, that I have failed to live the life I was created to live. My thoughts have not been your thoughts. My desires have not been your desires. My actions have not been faithful to your call. Lord, I confess that, and I trust in your death for me on the cross for my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that by your work, you made a home in the hearts of all who believe. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.